there we go. All right, uh, we are we're going to continue on a series of sermons today called Greater. Uh, we've been doing these uh, for the past few weeks, but before I do, I just want to say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart, uh, except for Pastor Chaz for ridiculing me last week. Um, no, I do appreciate all of the kind words, uh, the gift cards and the cards and all of those things. And and uh, I know I posted Jay's card uh, online because that was just really funny. Um, Jay, you know, wearing a shirt that says not, uh, you know, I'm not normal, right? We all know that, Jay. Jay is the one, by the way, that says uh, he puts fun in dysfunctional, uh, just to let you know, so... Uh, but no, but thank you again from the bottom of my heart. My wife and I would just like to say thank you to all of you uh, for appreciating us and uh, for what you did uh, for us last week. I really do love being the pastor of this church. Uh, I love being not normal, as Jay says, <laughs> and uh, love uh, just leading this congregation. So. Just a real quick plug also, uh, I really want to encourage you to be here next Saturday night if you can. It's a great time of worship and prophetic prayer. If you've never been uh, in such an environment, it's a safe environment to do so. Uh, I promise no one will be jumping over pews and and yelling and screaming in your face. Uh, But uh, to just hear what the Lord wants to say to us is a wonderful place. So join with us. There'll be other churches here. Uh, Corey will be leading worship, and then we'll have this time of uh, a testimony, and then a time of uh, just prophetic prayer, where, we, we'll, where you will be able to receive prayer uh, for anything, and, and uh, just the Holy Spirit will allow him to move how he would like to move during that service. And so uh, we pray that we do that every Sunday, but uh, this is specifically on Saturday. So come out and join us if you can, 6 to 8 o'clock. Uh, it's a, you'll have a wonderful time, I'm sure. All right, today we're going to talk about some of the greatest things. You know, when I, when I titled this sermon Greater, the sermon series Greater, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot of great things that God does. You know, there's so many great things. We could, we could literally have this sermon series last all year long, and we wouldn't be able to finish all of the great things that God does. And so as I was looking at this, I was thinking to myself, what is the greatest thing that Jesus Christ, that God himself has offered to us? And, you know, last week we, or the week before last, we talked about love, and then we've talked about uh, greater faith, and we talked about all those things. But today, I can guarantee you, Pastor Chess has no idea what I'm going to preach, but he will agree with me that this will be his, this will be his favorite topic. It is my favorite topic, it's our favorite topic, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the greatest thing, the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind. Now, when we talk about grace, we have to define what grace is. Because, see, you know, besides watching, uh, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, when they say, hey, will you please say grace? Grace, you've been dead for years. You remember that, uh, that part of that? Yeah, funny movie. Um, but besides something that we do at, at dinner time where we say grace uh, before you eat, grace is a wonderful amazingly beautiful thing that God has given to us that we don't deserve by any shape of the mind or imagination. So let's define this before we go any further uh, to understand what we're going to talk about in in the way that Jesus' grace is for us is the greatest thing. We have to understand what grace itself means. And so I've tried to define this by saying this spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. Now everyone's looking at this going, what the heck did you just say? That's a mouthful, right? All right, let me put this as, this is the theology term. This is, this is theology 101. When you look at grace, this is how they define grace in theology. Now, what this really means is that God gave us something that we could not earn and that we do not deserve. Now, listen, have you ever received a gift that you did not earn and you did not deserve? I think everyone in this room could probably say, yes, I have. And when we do, when we look at that gift and we receive that gift and we receive that thing that has been given to us, 
There is a dollar amount approach to that, whether that is in someone's skill and energy. Pastor Chaz, listen, I'm going to I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a plus here. He does a wonderful job of woodworking. He does beautiful woodworking. And he makes things with his hands, but that takes time and energy. And guess what time and energy and and his time is? It's worth money, right? If he does something, that's worth there's a worth and value to that. But whether you buy this gift or whether you make this gift, there is a dollar associated with this. If I would come to you and say, listen, I want to give you the greatest gift that you've ever been given to, and it is beyond any amounts that you could ever imagine. It's beyond the one point, what is it, $1.9 billion that the lotto is now or something like that. It's beyond that. The value of this is more than that. The value of grace doesn't have a dollar amount that you can associate to it. So when we say it's a spontaneous, unmerited gift, what we are saying is that God gives this to us when we don't earn it, we don't receive it. There's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how nice of a person I am to Jesus. He's going to give me his grace. His grace is offered to us. It's offered to all of us. And by the way, it's offered to all of us regardless of what we do say or how we act. Jesus offers that grace to us. That's what that unmerited, spontaneous gift really means. Now, what does grace do? This is the second half of this. The divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. What does grace do to us? God's grace given to us changes everything. Now today, when you read this definition, you may not understand exactly what grace does. Hopefully, by the end of the sermon, you'll be able to say, that's exactly what God's grace does. It is the greatest gift ever given to you and I. It's the greatest thing that we could ever give to someone else. But it's also the greatest thing that will help us walk the face of this earth and do what God has called us to do. Without his grace, none of this is possible. Do you understand that without Jesus' grace, none of this, all of the worship that we do, the joining together, would make absolutely no sense. There's no reason why we should join together if it wasn't for his grace that he gives to us. That unmerited, unearned favor that he gives. Let's pause and pray and then we'll jump into Romans chapter 3. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the amazing beauties of this earth. Lord, and the weather has been amazing, so we have to say thank you for that as well, Father. We thank you for all things that you give to us on this earth, the time, the energy, everything that we have that you have given to us and blessed us with, we give you thanks for. But today, Lord, we come before you approaching and trying to understand this term grace and what your grace really means to us. So Father, I pray that by the end of this sermon today that we can have a better understanding of your grace and the beauty of that grace, that amazing unmerited favor that you give to us. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and what what it does in our lives. Help us today to learn what scripture says, and how we can adapt, and how we can grow in the grace of Jesus that you give to us. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my own, but they would truly be your words, that you would remove all the hindrances from our ears, and our eyes, and our stomachs, and everything else that would keep us from hearing from you today. Lead us and guide us in all things, Father. We thank you, we glorify you, we honor you, and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Instead of all and all God's people say amen, we can say all God's people say, bless you. (laughs) Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, begins by saying, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen, we have a lot of Bible verses to get through today, and I won't be able to stop on each one, but we have to stop here. You have to understand that in order to understand grace, you have to understand your position. Our position, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Mother Teresa, whether you're a saint, or whether you are someone in jail, it doesn't matter. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a price to pay. We all are despicable when it comes 
of not having Jesus. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have a relationship with God. You have to start here. To understand, to fully grasp a hold of what grace is, you have to start with the understanding that you are not anywhere close to where Jesus or God is. Adam and Eve knew that. Abraham knew that. Or Abram, and then Abraham knew that. David knew that. Go through all of the Bible greats. And you can see they all knew their positioning. They all knew that God was much greater than them. We have to start here. We have to humble ourselves. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, Bono, to look at yourself and say, I'm not as good. But we have to. I'm teasing her. But (laughs) we all have to stop and take a step back and say, I'm a sinner. And I'm okay. I'm not okay with being a sinner. But I'm okay with understanding that if I humble myself before the Lord, that I can be a sinner. That I am a sinner. We've all fallen short. This is what Paul is saying in Romans. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us in this room. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how much money you've given away. It doesn't matter how much things you have blessed other people with. None of that matters when it comes to the glory of God. Because we all have fallen short. It's hard to understand, because you can say, but I haven't killed anyone, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't stolen anything, I haven't done all these things. You know what, none of that, yes, those are bad things, and we should not be doing those things, right? But have you looked down on someone? Have you been mad at someone, angered someone? Have you broken the law in some way? Have you said words that you should not say? Have you used the Lord, I pray not, but have you used the Lord's name in vain? Have you said things to someone else that you should? I see all of us. It doesn't matter what we have done. We all find ourselves at the lowest of the lowest. We are at the bottom of the barrel. And if we understand that, then we have nowhere nowhere but up to look and see the grace of God. This is what matters. See, the problem with grace is that in order to fully understand it, to fully grasp how beautiful it is, you have to grasp how bad you are. To fully understand the beauty of what God's grace really means, to fully understand the beauty of all that he is, you have to understand the difficulty and the ugliness of who you are. And when you understand those things and you get down to that bottom of the barrel and you find out that we are short of any glory of God, then we can look up and see his grace and have his grace change us. Let's continue on. So for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, one of my favorite words in scripture, propitiation, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. Now you may be asking yourself, this is a very difficult scripture. But what is, in ness- what is in essence saying to us is that we are sinners, we are down here, and there's no way that we could get to God. You know, just recently we were reading the Tower of Babel in, in a home group. And in the Tower of Babel, they were building the Tower of Babel. Why? Because they wanted to be face to face with God. So the humans, the, the, the men that were left over after God flooded the earth come together and they start to build this tower and they're trying to get into the heavens. And one of the Jewish writings says that they earned, they, they, um, they yearned, not earned, they yearned to be eye to eye with God. Now, that says a lot. If you don't understand what it's saying, it's not, it's not that they earn, yearned to be at the feet of God. They earned to be eye to eye with God, which that means they wanted to be looking at him. They wanted to be on the same level of him. And so when we understand this, that human nature calls us to want to be like God. That's what Adam and Eve saw, right? We have to understand that we are not anywhere close to that. And so when we find ourselves at the bottom, we need someone to save us. We need someone to come in. And so not by any works that you and I have done, but only simply by the grace of Jesus, he came down and he made us holy enough to enter into the gates of heaven and see God in all of his glory. That is what grace really has done for us. Though propitiation means that I am paying the price. I am sacrificing myself at no cost to you. Now listen, some people, I I have recently been buying and selling some things on Facebook that we had around the house. and, 
And, you know, sometimes you sell something and you're like, I know it's worth a lot more than this, but I'm just going to sell it and get rid of it, right? I don't want it in the house. I need to get rid of it. And so you offer it at a low price. And you know the sacrifice you're making is that you're not going to get as much money from that, but you just want it gone, right? And so you get rid of it. That is a sacrifice you're making. Those are sacrifices we make. Sometimes you make a sacrifice for a loved one. Someone in your house, if you have, uh, I know Amelia, uh, Corey and Lane are out there with a the baby now, but I know she's been sick, and so they had to make sacrifices this week. They had to work from home. They had to do other things because the baby was sick. Sometimes we have a family member who is in need, and we make sacrifices, and we do those things. Those are all great, and those are all good, and those are sacrifices that sometimes we are called to make. Yet, this is not the sacrifice that God made for us because there is nothing that person or that we did to earn it. We make sacrifices for our kids because we love our kids. We make sacrifices for our family members because we love them and they loved us. But what if a complete stranger came into your house and said, I want you to make a sacrifice for me. Would you do it? (laughs) There's not too many people that would sacrifice their life for a complete stranger. But Jesus did. I mean, we're not strangers to Jesus, obviously. But Jesus, knowing the, the, the depths of our depravity, the depths of what we have done, made the sacrifice and became our propitiation, our payment, if you will. And he saved us. Let's flip over to Titus chapter 3. If you've ever never read the book of Titus, let me encourage you to do it. It's, it's a short book, but it is full of wonderful things. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of not because of works done by his by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy and the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amazing verses here, but what we find is that Titus is telling us that he saved us not because of works. This is a problem that we have all the time because we think we can achieve something greater than us because if I just try a little bit harder, if I just do something a little bit better, if I just do God doesn't really care how hard you try. Does that mean we don't try? No, we do need to try. But what this means is that his grace isn't based upon what you can or cannot do. His grace and his love and his salvation is based upon how good he is. That's what grace is all about. Grace isn't about something that you can earn and thank God. God is not, because none of us in this room would earn it. Grace is based upon how much He is and how wonderful He is that He gives to us, so that we can have that eternal sacrifice, or that the eternal sacrifice that He paid on the cross for us. So, what does grace do? Grace justifies us before a holy God. That's the very first thing we have to understand. Before grace came, we were not justified before God. That means we could not have a relationship with God. There is no way for us. In fact, we find in the Old Testament, yes, if you were, if you had lambs or you were a priest, there was very few that could do sacrifices and they could have their sins forgiven. But exactly what does that mean? That means you sacrificed a lamb, you sacrificed something, you had your sins asked for or atoned for in the temple, but immediately as soon as you left, guess what happened? Let's let's suppose that Chaz walks into the temple, gives his sacrifice. The priest gives him his atonement, says, your sins are atoned for. Go, young man. And Chaz, I called you young man, by the way. Chaz is walking down the street, and someone pulls out in their cart and their horse-drawn wagon right before him. What are you doing? You just pulled out in front of me. You... He would never use those language, but whatever language would come out at that point, he gets angry. Guess what? His sins are no longer atoned for. Let's get serious for a moment, guys. Your sins were just atoned in the in the temple, and you walk out, and all of a sudden you're driving down the street, and all of a sudden you see a Samaritan woman, and she's looking pretty fine, right? And you do one of these things. You should never do that, by the way. 
your wife should be the most beautiful thing that's ever entered into your eyes and that will ever be. I don't care what I see. I don't care who I see. I don't care how they're dressed. I don't care. They don't, they don't rank up to my wife ever in my life. But as soon as you do that, guess what you've done? You've lusted. You've committed adultery with your eyes. Can I continue going on? You break any law. You've done these things. See, what has happened is that God's justification, he knew that during this time that there's no way that we could be fully justified with him. The only way that we could be fully justified with him is that if he sent a sacrifice, someone who would offer grace to you and I that could not be taken away. Before Jesus, what we did was we controlled our own justification with God. By our actions, by our, by, it was called the law back then. Now it's called grace. We live in the, we live in the age of grace and thank God that we do. That we don't live in the age of the law. Because if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, anyone like shrimp? I don't. Because I follow the Levitical law, so I don't eat anything that draws or, or crawls along the ground in the ocean. So I'm kidding. <laughs> but that was a sin. In the Levitical law, that was a sin. If you ate shrimp, that was a sin. If you ate lobster, that was a sin. Seafood, anything that crawled on the ground, that was that was technically a sin. If you like bacon, now here's the, here's the one, right? I'm sorry, I could not be Jewish. I I follow a Jewish. My my savior is a Jewish man, and I love him, and I love him to death. But if you put me in that time and age and told me I couldn't have bacon, forget about it. Thank God, God knew that and allowed me to be born now under the, under the age of grace. All of this is because, no, listen, I'm joking, joking, but I'm making also a serious point. There's no way that we could obtain that justification that God required from us. And so what does grace do? The grace of Jesus Christ justifies us in his eyes. Now listen, if anyone's in this room and you just heard that statement, you should be yelling and screaming and running out the door saying amen. Not running out the door yet. You can do that later. But you should be saying amen. Amen. Why? Because that means you can have salvation. You can have eternity in heaven. And you never have to worry about, did I eat bacon or not? Did I sin or not? His grace is a gift that justifies us before God. Helps us to see Him in all of His glory. Help us to be there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what else that, uh, grace does? Grace also helps us and provides us access to God to communicate and fellowship with Him. Do you understand that the only way that we can communicate with God, the only way that we can be on that is if we are justified. So if grace justifies us, it also then brings us up to the level that we can now communicate with God. One of the greatest things that ever happened that I think is one of the, you know, the, the, uh, one of the overlooked things of Christianity that ever happened is when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the veil was torn. Why? Because you have to understand, before that veil was torn, what was going on? Before the veil was torn, the Holy of Holies was the only place where God's Spirit resided. You had to be a priest who lived the right life, and you had to do everything that you could to even experience that. Very few people experienced the Holies of Holies during that time. Very few people were able to do that. Only Levite priests that lived a special and ordained life could enter into the Holy of Holies. And even sometimes them, when they did that, they ended up dying. And they'd have to be drugged out of that place. But when the temple was torn because the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, what happened is now no longer do we have to go into the Holy of Holies to commune and to interact with God. What happened is that he is now set free, not that he was ever defined by a curtain or a veil, but now he's now everywhere and we can commune with him because of that grace of God. And so the very fact today that when you pray and you know that God is hearing your, vo- hearing your voices and hearing your prayers, that's only capable because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, one of the biggest overlooked things that have ever happened in Christianity, I believe, that doesn't get enough credit. That very moment that veil was torn and this beautiful 
relationship with God was here. Grace provides us access to God. It provides us an ability to spend time with Him, to love Him, to communicate with Him. Do you like praying? I hope you do. Do you like experience? Listen, I love when our worship team, I, you know, I, I, today I was behind the screen so I didn't get to see it, but sometimes I get caught up in watching Christy and Jen and Corey sing because sometimes when, they, and I, I, I forget that I'm supposed to be worshiping too. Because I just like watching them. You know, sometimes they're closing their eyes, their hands are raised, and you can just tell that they're communing, they're, they're worshiping, they're fellowshipping with God at that moment in time. That's a beautiful thing. That's only capable because of the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purity for himself, or purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. That's an amazing verse in its own right again. If you just understand what's being said there, let me help you for a moment. For the grace of God that brings salvation is pure to all men. What has happened We now have salvation with Jesus Christ. And because we have salvation in Jesus Christ, that means we can commune with God. Now when we commune and fellowship with God, what does that mean? That means every trouble that we face on this earth, we don't have to walk alone. We have a God who walks with us because he's with us. By the grace of God, he walks with us and he helps us. And so then in Titus it goes on, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What that means is that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we can face those things on this earth. We no longer have to face them alone. We don't have to face addictions. We don't have to face all the worldly lusts. We don't have to face all of these things on this earth alone because the grace of Jesus Christ has given us the opportunity to face them with Him. This is an amazing thing. But you... 2 Corinthians verse 8. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Why is this grace so important? Because the grace isn't just that we can commune with God. It's that we can live this life. He provides us the grace and the power to do these things. Grace disciplines and trains us to live in a way that honors God. Do you understand that when we walk in this grace, when we walk in these things, it's not just that we're trying to be good or we're trying to do something. No, I... I, let me pause here for a moment. I, I get really aggravated when people say, I have to give up all these things to be a Christian. No, you don't have to give up anything if you don't want to. And I used to, I, I used to also hear a lot of people say, the other argument was not only, what do I have to give up to be a Christian? I have to give up all these things. The other thing I often also often hear is, what about the people that just die right before they, or what about the people that accept Christ right before they die? I feel sad for those people. I feel really sad for those people that just accept Jesus Christ right before they die. Why? Because in our terminology, in the world's terminology, we look at that and say, oh, they got to live, they got to party, they got to go to bars, they got to drink, they got to do whatever they want, and then all of a sudden, right before they died, they accepted Jesus Christ, and then they were accepted into eternity. You know what? They lived a whole lifetime without God, and that's sad. That's sad. We've got to stop looking at Christianity and grace by things that we have to give up and start looking at, it, at the beauty of what it really is. See, the problem is we have a whole bunch of Christians out there that are asking God for things. They want the ATM God. They want God to, they want to insert their Christianity card and get that money flowing out from them, right? And not just money. They want the gifts. They want the healings. They want all of these things. But they don't want to go through the relationship of who it is. But see, the, what we miss out in that is that the beauty of of Christianity is not what we get from God. It's the relationship that we have with Him. That's the beauty of what this really is about. When we stop living as Christians who are afraid of what we're going to give up and start living with 
the idea of what we gain in Christ, then we can really be mature Christians. Then we can really be, we don't have to face what this world has. We don't have to miss out on all the things that the world has. I don't care if someone else wins $1.9 billion. You know what? I'm as rich as the richest fool ever could be because I have Jesus Christ with me. I don't care that I don't have a big house and I don't have all of the things that someone else down the road may have. I'm blessed by God because I have a relationship with Him. I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to worry about my salvation. And that's here on this earth. It's not what I'm looking... That's not just what we're looking forward to in the future, right? That's not even to say what we get to experience when we enter into eternity with Him. That's now. That's here in this place. And all of that is available because of the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives and what he's done for us. See, the grace of Jesus Christ should train us how to be closer to him because the more that you appreciate the grace of Jesus Christ, the more he will teach you and the more that he will open up to you and the more that you can grow in your faith and become mature and to walk with him. And he will train us to honor him. You know, the, the, the easiest thing to do is the, when someone asks me, how do I pray to God? Start praying. Just have a conversation. How do I worship God? Just start worshiping God. You know, the more that you worship, the more that you do this, the more that you open your mouth and you let words come out, guess what? The more will happen. I, I used to think as a young child, I'm like, what am I going to, you know, I, my youth pastor used to tell me when I was little, when I was 16, I just gave my life to Christ. He would say, all right, you should be praying at least 15 to 20 minutes every night. And I'm like, 15 to 20 minutes? What am I going to say for 15 or 20 minutes? I don't know what to say. So I'd start writing down everyone I could think of. I got to pray for grandma this, and I got to pray for grandpa this, and I got to pray for the neighbor, and I got to pray for all, I got to pray for my dogs, I got to pray for all. And I'm writing this list down because I'm thinking the longer my list, the more I'll have to pray for, and therefore I could get my 15 minutes in and be done, right? Well, what I realized, what I didn't know back then that I know today, is that when you start to worship God in your prayer life and you start to speak those words, guess what happens? You can get lost in those words. You know what? If you really are lost for what to pray to God, open up your Bible and just start praying Scripture. This is His Word, so when we speak it back to Him, doesn't He like it? He does. But the funny thing about it is the more you worship God, the more you want to worship Him. This is true too. You ever ever miss church a week, two weeks, three weeks in a row? Guess what? It comes real easy not to come back. It's really easy to say, screw it. Can I say screw it from the pulpit? I just did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Put the screw in, right? No. I'm not going. I can sleep in today. It becomes easier to do that, right? The more you miss, the more you worship God, the more you stop praying, guess what? It's easier to just not pray. The more you stop reading scripture, guess what? It's easier just not to do that. It's All of this is true, but the more you open yourself to him, the more that you pray, the more that you worship, the more that you do these things, God's going to encourage you and is going, you're going to want to do more. Why? Because you're going to see the beauties of what all this means. The problem, when someone tells me they don't know what to pray or know, don't know what to say, I can honestly, I, I don't judge you. Please, if you've ever said this to me, please understand I'm not judging you. And I will never judge someone. But what I know in my heart is that you haven't experienced the grace of God enough yet. Because as the grace of God comes inside of you, and as the grace of God fills up and you begin to worship on that, you just don't want to do anything else but that. Pastor Chaz and I have this thing that we do. This is why he became the greatest golfer that won last week. Because we have something that's called grace for grace. Right? When we're out on the golf course and you shank one and it goes way to the right or way to the left, and then you're hoping that the next... Listen, I've done that before. I get up there and I hit one and it's way off in the woods. I'm like, oh, please don't let Pastor Chaz hit a good shot. Please don't let Pastor Chaz hit a good shot. Please let it go to the left or to the right. Don't let it be straight down the fairway, please. Because I know if he does that, he's going to look at me and go, hey, grace for grace, absolutely, let's go. <laughs> and we get to hit the ball again, right? But the more you do that, the more easy it becomes. 
So every other home, we're looking at each other, grace for grace? No, my boss right in the middle of the family. What do I need grace for? Oh, because you're a graceful person, Pastor Chaz. You should offer me grace. Come on. No, but it's true. The more grace we experience of God, the more you're going to want. The more you're going to seek after. You're going to become a grace junkie, and that's okay. You can be, this is the only addiction I'm going to say that you're allowed to have. And Pastor Chaz, you can send me to CR after this. But the only addiction you can have is addiction to grace. You can be addicted to grace all you want. When it's God's grace, the more you get, the more it's better. And the more we appreciate it, the more we grasp a hold of this. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 through 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace. Why do we have hope? Why do we have love? Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Those are the only two reasons we operate in those today. It's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 chapter 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. This is a young Timothy, young budding preacher. He's, he's trying to gain a hold of his confidence. He's trying to understand how he could do this. And the best thing that Paul can tell him is that you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace preserves us, comforts, encourages, and strengthens us. Are you facing something today that you've never faced before? Are you facing medical reports? Are you facing things that seem an unsurmountable task? Something, some mountain that's in front of you? If you're in that place today, understand that grace, understanding the grace that Jesus has for us allows us to be strengthened to overcome those things. You can overcome anything of this world by the grace of Jesus Christ. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will grow you to do this. I cannot stress this enough. God's grace is only possible because of him and what he's done. But when we accept that grace into our lives and what he has done for us, it encourages us. It strengthens us. It preserves us. My wife and I are in the process of making coleslaw or I, I, yeah, coleslaw, right? Isn't it? Sauerkraut. Thank you. Not coleslaw. Yeah, yeah. Sauerkraut. So we bought these, uh, we bought a whole bunch of heads of cabbage and you know, we had to sit there and take this and we had to pound them down, right? And you just pound and pound and pound and stuck it in the garage and I said, this is gross. We're just going to let this set in our garage, you know? And she goes, well, yeah, the, the, and she's trying to explain to me that the salt mixed with the cabbage and then the, 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 the fermentation will, will preserve it. And I'm like, well, that's gross. But what comes out might be something that tastes really good, right? I hope. We're not done yet, so I can't, I can't speak for it yet because we don't know yet. We're hoping. But see, what happens is that God's grace inside of us preserves us to overcome anything that we have to preserves us to be the best that we can be, to strengthen us to go through the things that life calls upon us to get through. Today, we have to understand that God's grace is not just something that we talk about. Grace is not just something that we celebrate. Grace is something that we can grab a hold of. His grace that he offers to us is something that we grab a hold of, we take in, and we begin to learn what that means. What does it mean to walk in Jesus' grace? It means that we can be forgiven. It means to be all of these things. When we learn about all those things, guess what? We're called to turn that grace around and give it out in the same way. James chapter 4 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you is not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so that you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives, in some translations say greater grace here, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he goes on to say, Submit yourselves, therefore, to the God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble you. Let me try that again. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Wonderful verse, right, Pastor Jason? Thanks for ending your sermon on a really bright note here. The truth of the matter is, is there's some amazing things in this verse that we have to grasp a hold of that speak to us exactly what grace is about. Do you find yourself quarreling a lot? What are you fighting about? And then James goes on to say, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Have you ever thought about this for a moment? Those that are close to God are not typically the people who you find in jails. Let's be honest. It's not until after they get into jail they're stuck in jail for a price they have to pay for something that they've done, that they come to a relationship with God. The people who come to counseling, you know, when I, when I uh, do marriage counseling with people, the very first question I ask them is, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with Christ? You know what I find? Is that almost 95%, and I've done this hundreds of times in the last 20 years that I've done marriage counseling, over 90% of the time when someone comes to me for marriage counseling, you know what? They need marriage counseling because their life with Christ isn't right. They're not following the principles. They're not following what God asks them to do. They're not, they're not accepting the grace that Jesus Christ has for them. And therefore, they're not growing in their relationship with God. They're not doing the things that they're supposed to do. And so what do they find themselves? They find themselves doing something that they should not do. Why? Because when you're not with God, you're with the world. And the world will come at you and throw everything it can at you. You want to talk about lust? You want to talk about passions? You want to talk about all of those things? It says it right here in James. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, all of these things that James is saying to us is all of these things are at odds. We are at odds in ourselves and in the world around us because we have not been in the right relationship with God. If you find yourself in the middle of a quarrel, if you find yourself in the middle of problems today, most likely it starts with your walk with Christ that has gotten away. You have walked away from your walk with Christ. You have not prayed as much. You have not read your Bible as much. You have not accepted the grace of Jesus Christ inside of your heart. You're not living the way that you're supposed to, and so therefore you find yourself at odds with the world around you. That happens because when we don't accept the grace that Jesus gives to us, we live in a different type of grace, and that's the grace of the world, and the world is not about the good grace that Jesus Christ gives to us. The world is about you and me and whatever makes me feel good. When I want something, I just go beat someone over the head and get it. Right? I mean, listen, that's what happens today. You don't have money for something? Well, let's go rob someone, right? That's what youth are being told today. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is crazy to me to think about this, but this is what's happening in schools. I mean, today you want a day off of school, what do you do? You pick up the phone and you call the school and say, hey, there's a bomb at the school. Yeah, we don't do that, but... That's what they do. That's what this is. And it's not, but, but let, me, let me rephrase this. Guess what? It's not just kids. It's adults who are doing this today too. 
They don't have a sexual relationship with their wife or they're not intimate with their wife. Can I get serious for a moment here? They don't have the right intimate with their wife. They're not intimate with their husband. What do they do? Let's go find it somewhere else. I'll go find it somewhere else. You can't find it somewhere else. You were ordained, you were called to be in a a covenant relationship with your wife and so therefore stay in that relationship. Don't go somewhere else for it. I, the world is so screwed up today, and I got to Listen, if you're, if you're facing these troubles today, it's because your life with Christ is not right. Because when your life with Christ is right, when you're reading your scripture and you're having that relationship with Jesus Christ, these passions don't tend to affect people that way. Pastors fall to this all the time. This very building that we're in today. Many years ago, a pastor failed. Was arrested. <laughs> Because of, yeah, really, yeah. In this very building, this was a while ago, many years ago. Why does that happen? That happens because a pastor, listen, pastors too fall away from their walk with Christ. Pastors too sometimes don't pray enough. Pastors too sometimes don't read their scripture. And just because we can get up and give a good sermon doesn't mean that we're right with God. That hurts as a pastor standing here telling you those things. That hurts because I don't ever want to be in that position. I hope that my sermons come out of my relationship with Christ and that my relationship with Christ comes out of the grace that he offers to me. But the problem of this is, is today we have too many Christians who are out living in the world instead of living in the grace of Jesus Christ. Stop living in what the world tells you is okay and live in the grace of Jesus Christ because that's where you're going to find the blessings. That's where you're going to find the benefit. That's where you're going to do all of these things. That's when you can ask and you can receive. You know, this verse, we often read this verse and go, but pastor, I've been praying for God to do all of these things. Well, listen, if you're praying to God to receive the lottery numbers, it's probably not going to work. Just letting you know, okay? But if you do win, remember 10% comes back to the church. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But even besides, listen, I, I, I I joke about that because, listen, we... Uh, again, I don't need to win the lottery. I have Jesus Christ in my life. I've won the lottery already. I'm the richest man that ever lived on this face of this earth because I have the riches of, and the glories of God. And you think $1.9 billion is a lot? He owns all of the cattle on the hill. He owns everything. I don't need $1.9 billion. I won't turn it down, but I don't need it. Because I have him instead. Listen, I mean... Uh, yeah, go make your donation to the schools, right? Your uh, 1% that comes back to the schools. Or you can just go to the schools and say, hey, here's $10, right? Truth of the matter is, is though, when we live in those graces of Jesus Christ, all of the things of this world don't matter. When I'm right with God, my relationship with my wife is way better. When I'm right with God, my relationship with my friends are really much better. When I'm right with God, my relationship with the world is exactly what it needs to be. I see what the world is, and so therefore I can live, and I can feel sorry for them, and I can try to share God with them, because that's what we're supposed to do. But it isn't until we're in the right place. It isn't until we understand the grace of God and how it works in our life. Grace offers us an alternative to this world. And let me tell you, it's way better than anything you'll find in this world. This world doesn't forgive you for your sins. This world doesn't accept you for who you are. This world, Well, the world will tell you they accept you for who you are, right? Oh, you can be whoever you want. You can be a kitty, and we'll accept you for that, right? The truth of the matter is that they judge us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, so don't go too far, Jen, as she walks outside. Grace offers an alternative to this world. Listen, have you ever felt weak, burnout, like you couldn't go on anymore? I have. I can be, I'll be completely honest with you. There's times that I just wake up in the morning and I look at the alarm clock and say, I just can't do this anymore. I'm tired, I'm burnt out, I don't feel like it. You know what? It's that those times 
I realize that I haven't been living in the grace of God enough. Because His grace perseveres. His grace lifts us up. His grace allows you to see God eye to eye. Allows you to be in a relationship with Him. That's what His grace is. Listen, I can't stress this enough. God's grace is a gift given to us, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because He loves us. Will you stand with me, please? When I say that God's grace is an unmerited gift, I really mean that. You can't earn it. Today, when you see someone you and you say, I love that person, you know what? You love that person because you had a relationship with them. They've done something nice for you. They've interacted with you. They've spent time with you. They've shared time. I, as much as I tease this man, I do love him. And I do that because we, we have built a relationship and, and we appreciate each other's love for grace. We appreciate each other's love for humanity and the church and ministry and all of those things. And those are all wonderful things. And I, I don't want to be in ministry without any without him. Let's put it that way. It's real simply to say. But let me take it one step further for a moment. Those are all wonderful things. But he and I have earned each other's grace because of that. God gives you grace because you don't deserve it. It's like someone walking off the street and and they walk in the door and you look at them and say, I love you. You don't love that person. You don't know anything about that person. They just walked in the door. But God's grace is different because he looks at us and he says, "I not only do I know you, I know you're wretched. I know you're a sinner. I know you're no good. I know there's nothing that you can do to obtain the goodness of who I am. There's nothing that you can do to have eternity with me. There's nothing that you could do to earn that. And guess what? I don't care. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to give you everything I have. And listen, it wasn't dollars that he gave to us. It wasn't, although he does bless us in that way too, It was his life. He gave up everything for us. Everything. That's grace. That's truly what grace is. When you have and you've given all that you are to someone that doesn't earn it. That's grace. And not only did Jesus do that, but he's God. He's the controller of the earth. He owns everything. He didn't have to love us in that way. He gets nothing from us. You understand that there's nothing that we can give to him other than our worship and affection back to him for what he's given to us. But even before we could give those things to him, he gave to us grace. It's unmerited gift. So today, what I want to ask you is, are you living in grace or are you living in this world? That's really a question. The grace of God is much greater than anything that you could ever face. Maybe today, as I said, you're facing some troubles. You're quarreling, you're fighting, you're having issues. If that's the case, then seek God's grace. Because He wants to give it to you. He doesn't want you to live in that way. If you've never accepted that grace before, then today is a beautiful day. There's no better day than right now to grab a hold of that grace of Jesus Christ and say, I don't want to leave these doors. I don't want to turn this computer off. I don't want to walk away until I have the full measure of grace that you have given to me inside of me so that not only am I know that I am saved, that I have salvation in Jesus Christ, that I'll walk in eternity with you, but that I can be strengthened, that I can move forward, that I can have the hope, that I can have the love, I can have all of those things that come with the grace that only comes from you and you give it to me freely. All I have to do is accept it. One of the greatest things about God's grace is that he has this beautiful, amazing gift, perfectly wrapped. And he's like, here, all I want you to do is take it. You don't have to give me anything in return. This isn't a white elephant Christmas party where you have to bring me something back. No, I'm giving this to you. All you need to do is take it and accept it. That's what grace is.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your unmerited, amazing grace that you give to us. Grace that we could not earn on our own. Grace that we did and nothing that we can do to grab a hold of that grace, but you give it to us freely and willingly. Lord, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive me for not walking in that grace enough. Forgive me for walking in what this world has instead of the grace of Jesus Christ. Forgive me for not doing the things that say this is why your grace means more to me than anything else. That your grace is enough. Help me today, Lord, to walk in that way. Father, if there's someone here today that's never walked in that grace, that's never accepted your grace, that's never accepted you in salvation, maybe today, can today be this day where they say, Jesus, I accept that gift. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and what I have done. And let me walk with you. Let us today learn to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ in all that we say, all that we do. May we celebrate that grace because it is well worth being celebrated, Father. Thank you for all that you've done. We love you, we glorify you, and we honor you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Couldn't obtain it, we couldn't earn it. 
but God gives it to us because he loves us so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Help us to go forth from here walking in your grace, knowing that your grace is more than enough, that it covers all of our sin, that it does all that we can, and all we have to do is walk in that grace, that gift of grace that you've given to us. So help us today as we leave forth this place, Lord, and we go out into the world to battle the world around us and to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. You deserve that and so much more, Lord. And so today, Father, help us to be your hands and feet, to leave this place doing your will and what you call us to do. May you be glorified, may you be honored, and may you be praised through everything that we do and say. And may we accept your grace because it is more than enough. We give you the glory, the honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next week.